0: Welcome to the Spinster Life podcast. I'm Amy. I'm Laurel, and we're going to find out what it was like to live like Gloria Steinem. This is a part two, so you should go back and listen to the previous episode if you want to know what the hell is happening. But brief recap: in the last episode, I was just embarking on a week of living like Gloria Steinem. So let's just revisit what I thought it was going to be like. Okay. So
1: what do you? What are your expectations for this?
0: Project. I think that I'm going to be challenged. Mm-hmm. I think that I think that I'm going to be ashamed of how little that I know. But I do yeah. think that I'm going to learn a lot of stuff that's going to piss me off. And then just a quick refresher on how I went about living like Gloria Steinem. I read seven of her essays in addition to some of the other research that I did, I distilled down the ideas from the essays and turned them into challenges for myself. And I embarked on, on those challenges throughout the week. So you did a full seven days? I did a full seven days. Not a work week. Not a work, work week, a no. Business week. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> a full seven days. Full seven days. Of, of living hard. like Gloria. There were so many more essays I could have chosen. Seven is even cutting it short. You got to wrap it up at some point. Yeah, Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So the first day I lived my life based on this essay that Gloria wrote um, called Phyllis Freud. Do you want to take a listen to how it went? Yes, absolutely. All right. Let's roll it. Okay. All right. Day one. This is my first day living like Gloria Steinem. I'm taking inspiration from Gloria's essay, Phyllis Freud. I don't know that much about Freud because his analysis just always seems silly and his fixation on gender roles and penis envy and like whatever, it's easy to dismiss. So I actually learned a lot about Sigmund Freud from the essay and it turns out his nonsense makes me even madder than I thought it would. A lot of Freud's theories were used to discredit survivors of child abuse. In his professional opinion, abuse wasn't something that actually happened to people. It was just a juvenile fantasy. The abusers were imagining this and this was their fantasy that they were being abused what the actual fuck. So kudos to Gloria in explaining history in an engaging and illuminating way. So I'm about to try my hand at this kind of satire. I'm going to write an essay in that style. I'm going to write a satirical essay similar to the style of the Phyllis Freud essay, and I'm flipping the genders about the Equal Opportunity Credit Act. Before the 1970s, women were often denied credit cards and loans just because of their gender. Sometimes single women even had to bring a man with them to open a bank account. From my research, I really couldn't tell if this was just, like, they could just bring a random man to the bank to open an account. It's, if that's so, that's fucked up. Just find a random man. It doesn't matter if he's credit worthy. He just has to have a penis to get a credit card. What the fuck? Anyway, I'm flipping the story and... Telling it from the point of view of a man who is denied access to banking because, in this world, men are so reckless and irresponsible with money. It is ridiculous to me that women were ever denied access to money, credit cards, and loans because I always saw women who were in control of the money. My grandmother was a banker, and my other grandmother has a master's in education. They were in charge of all the decisions, especially money decisions. So, I'll let you know how the essay goes. <laughs> So the essay is almost done. I have a rough draft. I'm pretty happy with it. I think I exposed some patriarchal double standards while also telling an engaging educational story about history. Let me know what you think. The essay is live on Spinster Life blog and on Medium. Yeah, so that was day one. Wow. Well, sounds like you're off to a good start. Learning yeah. a lot. Yeah. um And I wrote a damn essay. I haven't written what like an essay essay since Let's Go With College. Well, I do write... Essays for fun,
1: and usually just keep them to myself and don't even do anything with them. But we know I'm kind of a
0: weirdo. Mm. But yes, <laughs> your fun essay writing hobby. My fun written essay writing hobby, <laughs> yes. But yeah, I just I didn't know that much about Sigmund Freud because I don't. It just never seemed relevant. It's not. It doesn't yeah. seem like real psychology. You I, know,
1: I don't either. I, I know the the basics of what you hear, about
0: right? Sigmund right. Freud. But I didn't realize the impact that his work had on women, especially. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize it was so damaging to women, which is enraging. It
1: is enraging. Is not, this, not surprising. Is this just our, high, is this just our
0: penis envy.
1: I mean... So jealous of penises. So Can't jealous. tell you. The only time I've ever been jealous of a penis is when I'm camping.
0: mm mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. That can get complicated. Peeing. But other yeah. than that...
0: I'm good, yeah. Because having to like squat and make sure that you don't pee on your own clothing, like that's and not I always
1: great, but- do. I'm always on some kind of a slope somehow. <laughs> it's, like, gets into my, or, Like bounces off, and you gotta really be. You almost gotta like work up to it before you go camping, so you know, like be doing some squats, so you know, yeah, build up those muscles that you're not gonna fall down in your pee while you're drinking,
0: yeah, stuff like that. That's nobody likes that, no. All right. So yeah, day two. Day two, another essay. Let's see how it went. All right. Let's take a listen. All right. This is day two. I read the essay Strongest Woman in the World. It's about a female bodybuilder from Australia named Bev Francis, who was already a champion weightlifter. And the essay is all about how her appearance and body were under so much more scrutiny than other women that were participating in female bodybuilding. The essay talks about how radical female bodybuilders were in the 80s. Like Up until then, fitness for women was focused on being as slim as possible. Think, you want to tone your muscles. You don't want to bulk up. And these bodybuilders, they didn't look like that. They were bulky, the thing that every other woman wanted to avoid. Except for one thing, that in these first bodybuilding competitions, the women who did look feminine came in Above the weightlifters who didn't look feminine. Like weightlifters who did their hair, did their makeup, and wore more feminine outfits. The Bev was already a weightlifter. And it was really easy for her to put muscle on her frame. So when she decided to move to the world of bodybuilding, she got swole. Just so much more muscular than the other women. And so she's going to these competitions. And she's not placing even though she is bigger and stronger than these other women. It's when she changed what she was doing. And she started sculpting her body in a different way to look a little bit more slim and toned instead of bulky. And when she started wearing makeup and had a different haircut, then she started coming in higher. So I'm not going to talk about bodybuilding because I don't know anything about bodybuilding, but I'm going to challenge beauty standards in my own accessible way and I'm not going to wear makeup in front of the camera. I'm not a huge makeup person, and I rarely wear a full face of makeup in real life, so I don't think this will be that hard. Sorry to all the people in my life that have to gaze upon me. In my head, I look much better, but in real life, I have acne scars and uneven complexion and rosacea. Most of the time without makeup, I look like I have a bad sunburn. I look like a tired, middle-aged woman with a sunburned nose. So I'm challenging this beauty standard that women are supposed to have beautiful glowing skin and letting you all see my bare face. Yeah, I'll let you know how it goes. I'm gonna go take some pictures now. Oh my god, you guys. I failed. I failed. I failed the challenge miserably. So I I was not able to take pictures of myself without makeup. Well, I took a couple, but I just, I couldn't look at them. I couldn't keep them on my phone. I had to delete them. I just, I really thought this would be a lot easier than it was. I just did not want to confront my future self later with these pictures of myself without makeup on, this evidence of what my face actually looks like. It's really upsetting. Like I'm not a crier, but I kind of feel like I want to cry. A, because my face really looks like that. Like that blotchy red mess. that's that's what I got up top. That's what I'm working with. And B, that after all the work that I've done on myself and my self-esteem and and not worrying about what I look like and trying not to concentrate on look so much, I am still really, really fucking hung up on my appearance. And I, I know that I'm more than that. I know that I'm more than my appearance, but and even if I look like shit, I'm still worthy of feeling better about myself. But just Jesus Christ I just could not subvert the expectations of standards of beauty I uh yeah I just couldn't So yeah so that was uh that was day 2 I did not expect that result I was thinking
1: about it while you were going over that I've been thinking similar things along those lines lately just in my own personal healing journey it's one thing to know you should feel a certain way, or you shouldn't care about something. And it's a completely other thing to really take in that information and to incorporate it into your life. There's, It's a huge difference between knowing I shouldn't care if my belly is kind of soft, and you can see that through my shirt, and I'm not sucking it in. And it's another thing to go out into the world And not suck it in and not, and have someone even outside of yourself criticize you and be able to just be okay with that anyways processing that type of
0: information is a whole other level of it's deprogramming it's like this this script was running for so many years of this is what women look like and this is what a beautiful Mm -hmm. woman looks like and a beautiful woman is a valuable woman so that's what you want to be and that's the only reason
1: why women are valuable like there's just so many arrows like if there was a If the patriarchy had a a dry erase board, that's (laughs) what would be circled and all of the arrows would be pointing at that. Pretty. Just
0: be pretty and just be pretty. And that's the only way that will allow you to live. And be pretty in the way that we like you to be pretty. Don't be pretty in the way that you find yourself pretty. Not that I found myself pretty when I was confronted with my awful fucking skin. (gasps) I know there's also those things too, like bad skin does come with like other things it's not just the Mm -hmm. way you look it is uncomfortable yeah it does make you feel self-conscious it comes with all of these uh, other things of not just like i'm not beautiful but also just like i'm not comfortable and i don't fit in and like blaming yourself it's distracting
1: yeah it's inwardly it's distracting because then you have a hard time or i have a hard time focusing on other things too so then it it compound it's like a snowball effect yeah i feel incapable because i'm so focused on being uncomfortable then i can't focus on the other things i need to focus on so then i feel dumber in other ways or
0: more useless in other ways oh my yes oh my absolutely fucking god yes yeah Yeah, i didn't even thought of that that i spent so much time like dealing with those of the self-esteem issues the depression Mm -hmm. that does make you just go inward yeah and that's another reason that i haven't read up on feminism or, or any, a lot of things, because I was spending so much time worrying about myself and not thinking about a broader topic.
1: When I was reading Glennon Doyle's last book, she talked a little bit about that as well. The most effective way to police someone is to teach them to police themselves, because then they're so distracted by trying to keep themselves in this prison that they don't even realize they don't have to be in there. There's not even a door. Right. There's no yeah. one else guarding it. You can be free at any time.
0: All of that 100% yes that I did feel like I was failing by not being able to just not give a fuck, but it's not that easy. It's truly a vicious
1: cycle. It's just you pinging back against between walls, yeah, like, a, like an 80s video game. Ping, 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 ping. Just... Well, I feel like shit. Well, I shouldn't feel like shit. You (laughs) stupid idiot. Now you feel I
0: feel like we're shit and now I'm ugly and I'm stupid and oh my God. (laughs) And it's also like that that the price is right game or like the little mountain climber goes Mm -hmm. up the hill and then it go it goes back because you think I've I've done it. I've done it. I've (laughs) broken through. And then like you just you go back down a couple pegs and you're like, Oh no, I'm still (laughs) that is still an active issue. That is still something we are dealing with and good to know. That's an excellent example. Because you're constantly
1: learning these things, knowing these things, and then having to unlearn other things. So it's constantly up the mountain, down the mountain, up the mountain, down the mountain. Yeah. And that's all
0: of life. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's, yeah, that's just life. Yeah. That's just, that's to be expected. It's a lot. We're just we're, yeah, we're really conditioned to be really hard on ourselves about literally everything literally everything (laughs) if it's (laughs) It's just caring caring too much about what you look like
1: not caring enough what you look like be thicker but not there but skinnier but not there and then you have to look a certain way and your lips have to look like you're from this part of the world and your nose has to look like you're from this part of the world and
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) it's it's impossible it's all impossible and yeah and that's and that's why i wish that i could have done the challenge and just taken a fucking makeup free selfie just to just to be able to prove, I guess, to myself too, that like uh, I am, I have moved past that. My behavior can back up calling out that stupid standard of what women should quote unquote look like. Well,
1: I think unlearning is more of an action. We think things, we know things. Ultimately, when you learn anything new, Generally, you have to unlearn something else. Yeah. And that is a whole different process than just, okay, now I know this. It's It requires actual bodily action and going through a process and learning more things and unlearning other things. It just was a different challenge than you thought it was going to be.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, do you want to move on to day number three? Let's do it. Let's do it. All right, day three today, and I'm talking about how women are marketed to. It was in an essay that Gloria wrote about what advertising was like when she was at Ms. Magazine. Even though women have the most say over how most consumer dollars are spent, women are marketed to very differently, even for products that both genders use. In the essay, Gloria writes about how the staff at Ms. Magazine worked with advertisers. So most women's magazines played by all the rules that the advertiser set. And they did complimentary coverage, which is basically sponsored content. Like there would be an ad for eyeshadow on the same page or across from a story about the latest trends and the models would be wearing the very product that was being advertised. It doesn't look like the magazine is capable of much independent thought. And then I guess by extension that women who read women's magazines aren't. And Gloria refused to do all of that. She refused to do the complimentary coverage. And complimentary coverage was also this like really upbeat tone, which I think like I feel like women's magazines still do that same shit. They don't really get into issues. They don't they don't criticize anyone. A review might not recommend something, but it doesn't get into the backstory. I think Gloria used the example of Dow Chemicals or or whatever, like the same company that's making these Products for a woman's household. They're also making weapons. If this magazine were to write a story about this, the advertisers would pull out right away, and they've never advertised with them again. And other companies would do the same thing. They would just pull all of their advertising dollars. And unfortunately, magazines—that's kind of the way that they work—is they're supported by ads. So if a magazine wanted to be profitable, it had no choice but to play nice and write things about corporations that were major polluters or discriminated against female employees or, you know, whatever bullshit they thought that they should do. I think that today we do know better, like we're better consumers of media. But back in the 80s and 90s, I don't think this practice was widely known by the general public. They didn't have the internet then to like research and find things like this out. So I created my own set of advertising guidelines. Uh, I don't work with any sponsors yet, but I I know that when I do, and I will, I don't need to sell my soul and make a few dollars selling you detox tea that you for sure don't need. I think this will definitely evolve, but here are my initial guidelines. I want to work with brands that take accountability for their products and their image, brands that align with my views, that that not only talk about promoting diversity, but actually do it. I don't want to work with any brands that have products that women absolutely don't need, like detox tea, and no products that uphold unrealistic beauty standards. But as I learned yesterday, maybe all beauty standards are unrealistic. Like I just want to have clear skin, but that's apparently unrealistic for me. Come on, sponsors of products that actually help women and don't exploit anyone to succeed. Hit me up. So that was day three. You know, I'm like looking forward to working with advertisers. I have a plan what to say yes to and what to say no to because it's a smart way to go into it, especially
1: as you enter any business space. Of course, we all want to make money and do things, but it's also even that much more important to align yourself with companies that
0: aren't harming anyone <laughs> <or> Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that's 100% possible to to find a company that actually like can actually check all of those boxes, but and
1: honestly, I yeah, I don't think that it is and that's a whole other conversation about capitalism and all of that but to be able to there's definitely options that are trying harder than other ones yeah like i would never represent amazon in any way
0: shape or form because fuck amazon fuck it i mean i yeah (laughs) i do the affiliate program Mm. but it doesn't make me happy it's just like yeah it's a little bit of of desperation there and i and i do want to move away from that in the future and just be able to work with brands that yeah, are not the worst. Yeah. And and to just not actively cause harm like fucking detox tea. I oh cannot even believe that yeah. is still a thing.
1: Well, the whole yeah, K-Dash crew, they they love promoting things they love promoting themselves as this tribe of feminist women. But They actively, regularly, and almost exclusively promote things that are harmful to women in some way, shape, or form. Yeah.
0: Their whole presentation. And it's The detoxing, the girdles. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, you know, that's your look. You are entitled to look however you want, but they don't they never put that disclaimer on it of no. like this is just me, this is just how I look. And all of it is marketed
1: as this is how we should all look. I'm helping you. You're yeah. welcome.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And the <laughs> whole that whole family is very toxic and yeah. and they post those before and after pictures of like Chloe who was – she was a normal-looking woman, and she's yeah. just had so all much work of them done. Were, yeah,
1: all of them have,
0: and it's – They cr- look I'm, like filters. They've made their – they've
1: contorted their faces to look like filters. And no no shame against anyone who has that, but they actively deny that they – this is all natural, and yeah. that's when it gets harmful, because they're literally promoting features that – Are unattainable beauty standards that they know are unattainable, and then telling people to just work harder. Right. Or buy this thing. Yeah. Buy my lip kit. (laughs) Buy this girdle. You're just not consuming enough laxatives, (laughs) idiot. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, idiot. That's what detox tea is, by
0: the way. It just makes you shit. Don't they (laughs) promote Fashion Nova as well? I'm not sure. Probably. I mean, and I guess that's a whole other thing. There's brands that are just like, they are destroying the planet. They are mm. promoting completely unhealthy consumer behaviors. yeah, and, and someone someone is being very exploited
1: somewhere along the way. Oh, absolutely. Everything they do is on the backs of a lot of other people that they care nothing
0: about. And re- and I don't want to support that, and I don't want to align myself yeah. with that. and I, I I just I want everyone to do better. Just stop just, it. Just be just better. Do better. Just
1: just <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, just stop exploiting. Stop people. lying. Like, why don't we just start there? Like just stop lying to each other as women about yeah. what we what we look like, what another person should look. Stop telling other women what they should look like. Yeah. And just worry about what makes you feel good. If at any point you're doing something that is revolves around telling another woman. Like, if you're making money off of telling another woman that she's not good enough, there's a special place in hell for you.
0: Yes, there certainly is. Yeah. There's, there's a shiny, shiny chair for you.
1: And that's not even my opinion. That's just science.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's right. We're scientists. So... So there's that, suck it. (laughs) Do you want to hear about what happened on day four? Let's go to day four. All right. All right. We're going to roll that tape. This is halfway through my week of living like Gloria. And today, I am taking inspiration from her essay, Revaluing Economics, which is all about women and wealth. And I think this quote really says it all. The closer women are to power, the weaker they have to be kept. For years, women were kept away from wealth. In the 19th century – Uh, And before that, obviously, a husband was entitled to any money that his wife made or inherited. And I don't mean entitled like they thought they deserved it. I mean entitled like that was the law, like they were lawfully entitled to their wife's earnings or inheritance. This essay really made me view wealth in a different way. I'm not wealthy. I don't come from wealthy people. And when I was growing up, I saw strong women who worked and who brought in more money than their husbands and decided how that money would be spent. I did not realize that the power and wealth divide looks way more different in wealthy families. Because in wealthy families, there's more money. So men needed to separate women from control over that money by enforcing these gender stereotypes, by making women weaker, by making them more subservient. So here's my experiment for the day. I'm going to look at a list of the most wealthy people, and I want to see how many women are on this list. Women are half the population, but do women make up half of the most wealthy people? (laughs) Okay. I'm, uh, I'm looking at Forbes real time billionaire list. I'll include a link to it in the show notes below. So when we're on the list, Elon Musk, Bezos, Bernard, Bernard Arnault and family. Oh, damn. They lost eight billion today, but that's only 4.4% of their wealth. Bill Gates. So those are the top four, all men. I guess family is the closest thing to a woman being on this list. They do have An option to filter this list. So, oldest, youngest, women, industry. So, let's sort it by women. Coming in at 13, Francois Betancourt Myers and family. They are worth $77.7 billion. Alice Walton is number 19. Julia Koch and family at 24. Mackenzie Scott is 29. So, the closest that any woman's getting to the top is 13. The Betancourt family, the Betancourt and Myers family. So let's see, their worth was 77.7 billion dollars. Um, let's go back to let's go back to this list, this top four, the top four men. Elon Musk's worth today is two hundred and twenty billion dollars compared to seventy-seven billion dollars. Women are so far away from the top seats, even the wealthiest women are so far away from the top seats. That's kind of what I expected, very honestly, but uh, it's still fucking bullshit to see. All right. So that was an infuriating day, to say the least. Oh, Um, man. Yeah. And it's not like I want that amount of money. I don't need to be a multi-billionaire. Like I think is a little disgusting, and we probably actually shouldn't have billionaires, as many politicians say. No, but-
1: I'm on board with Elizabeth Warren on that. Yes, one. there, yeah, there's there should be no billionaires, and
0: they should be taxed at a different like. They, they really should. There they shouldn't so be more things. protected than people who are just paying all income tax. But spoiler alert:
1: they're the ones that pay for politics. They ultimately make the laws. And that's another reason why there should not be any billionaires. Yeah. And anybody who disagrees with that is someone who thinks that at some point in their life, they're going to get the opportunity to exploit enough people to become one themselves.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Which um, you are probably not. The American, quote unquote, the American dream has sold us this nonsense that we could Become, if you pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Just work harder. Yeah. You might. And, you know, ignoring all of the institutional isms that hold people back. That's a lie. The billionaires
1: tell you to do more work. Yeah. For less, for less money. less money and more abuse. Yeah. You just aren't doing it enough you're not doing it good enough pretty much yeah you're Do not it more i'm gonna take a nap yeah Just
0: <laughs> bootstraps you start at a company and you you work your way up through
1: middle management not a single one of those people started out no
0: outside of a place no. of privilege and so many of those people on the list it is it's generational wealth this is wealth mm-hmm. that's been passed down and passed down and passed down um and i the, know the
1: only ones i can think of there's a few that didn't and are are women that didn't start from a place of Oprah is on that list. And she did not start out obviously from a, a place of privilege. She was pretty poor growing up. Right. Um, and JK Rowling, which is a whole other yeah, that's it's a deal other.
0: now. Yeah. But yeah. Right. That it is, of course it is possible. Nothing is impossible, but just to ignore all of the isms and the way that women have been kept away from money Mm -hmm. and you know the in the 1800s when in the 1900s when women weren't even people and men were just allowed to take like a husband was just allowed in pride and prejudice if their dad died yeah they would get kicked out
1: five of the daughters and mrs bennett would get kicked out of the house unceremoniously and have nowhere to live and some like what like a distant relative would come and their and... cousin Mr. Collins yeah would get to come because by law it was entailed away from the female line specifically yeah, yeah. which is crazy so fictional it's...
0: book real law and <laughs> it, and, it, and like i said it's not that i want the money but the money does come with the power mm-hmm. and that's the problem that if if these people with this immense wealth are still in these positions of power They're not going to change anything because they're happy in their positions of power. And,
1: you know, I was reading something recently about the interest that Jeff Bezos, for example, accrues from the money he has without working, without adding to it. Just the money it accrues in the bank would be enough to end world hunger for an entire year just from the interest he accrues in one week. Yeah. And that's insane. It would actually be more than enough. And so the fact that this is allowed to continue and to exist in all of these things,
0: everything is awful. (laughs) (laughs) Do you want to explore more (gasps) awful things? Yes. All right. (laughs) Here I am at day five. My time as Gloria is drawing to a close. I'm kind of sad about it. It's really been eye-opening into how much I don't think about all these things. Or think that like I'm on top of them, like day two. How most of the time I'm just trying to get by in the system without questioning why the system is the way it is. Uh, And today uh, I read an essay about age. It's called Doing 60. So Gloria starts off writing about how it'll feel to turn 60 and how older women become almost invisible. But there is a positive side to this invisibility. What she noticed is women tend to get more outspoken as they get older, And men tend to get more conservative, trying to hang on to that power. This essay clearly talks about radical feminism, and the word radical has gotten a bad rap, which she writes about in the essay, but she also writes that really it's the only way to be feminist. There's no point in saying things like I'm a feminist, but or like being soft spoken about it. The only way to affect real change is to be really fucking loud and to not mince words. So I don't think this is like a one day challenge that I can set for myself. This is like an ongoing thing. I just need to start thinking about how to be more radical and then to be more radical. Radical. Yeah. Feminism. That's I love
1: it. I'm yeah. here for it. Yeah. Let's do it. We yeah. should be more committed to our own choices. Yeah. I, everyone is so concerned with other people's choices, but why don't you, yeah, commit to some of your own and actually stand up for things that Truly affect you and yeah. the people around you, especially as women. And say it loud. Say, yeah. Don't quiet yourself so someone else isn't uncomfortable. I'm so sick of, you know what, someone else, someone being uncomfortable, particularly a man, is so low on my list of things I care about at this point. The amount of times I've been made to feel uncomfortable in my life for no reason is it's just so low on the list of values when things are actually affecting my health, my well-being, my family's health and well-being. I'm going to I'm going to stop sitting silently and yeah. hoping hoping it goes away because you know what the things that really bother you that's not how it's going to happen.
0: No. Especially these really damaging things in society that yeah. have that have come about because of of all of this institutionalized isms and institutionalized sexism
1: and at the end of the day all it ultimately is is gaslighting it's saying why are you so angry you're so sensitive the only people who say things like that are
0: abusers I, and I, I love that she says that in the essay mm-hmm. like that feminists do they get a bad rap the angry feminist yeah. who cares Yes, we
1: are angry. We're absolutely angry. And that's... Angry, happiness and silence are not the only valuable emotions. And silence is not an emotion.
0: (laughs) I'm feeling very silent. (laughs)
1: How are you? Silent. Silent. (laughs) If something is affecting you and it upsets you, it's okay to say that you are upset. I would rather have people in my life who can come up to me and say... This upset me. Here's what I'd like to do about it, rather than sit silently seething, seething towards me or towards someone else and just being unhappy and never doing
0: anything about it. What a
1: fucking bummer those people are,
0: right? it's just it it, uh, it does bring back my own personal shame around not speaking out about things mm. earlier in my life. That period in my life when I was trying to be a cool girl and said things like, yeah, I'm a feminist, but there's along those <gasps> yeah. lines. If you're saying
1: any anything and then add a, a but at the end, you don't you mean don't that mean thing that. that came before it <laughs> or at best, you don't understand that thing that
0: came before it. And yeah, I just want to stop caring about that and caring about right. anyone saying I'm too anything. You're too feminist. You're too.
1: I'm exactly who I am. Right. And, and then, I'm okay with that.
0: And like, I, I, these ideas around feminism, these are things that I've felt for a long time, like as a child. Yeah. I just, you know, I didn't see a lot of that growing up just because of the way my family is and the men in my family are kind of soft spoken. Mm-hmm. So I didn't really know. I mean, I guess I knew from TV and stuff, but I didn't see it demonstrated. And then when you get into the wider world and you're like, oh, no, yeah. there,
1: is, there is. Leaving home is was a whole different practice and being able to apply these things that I had felt my whole life were unfair or upsetting. Yeah. And being able to take that in and, and make changes on a personal level in my own life and be able to become a better version of myself through that. True saying, I'm upset. I don't like that. I don't receive that. Right.
0: There's something wrong with that. And even if I
1: don't know exactly what it
0: is, Mm -hmm. I know there's something wrong.
1: I've begun a conversation. And that's when things begin to change. When you say, hey, I feel something other
0: than silence about this. (laughs) Let's talk about (laughs) it. The next time I feel silent, I'm going to think back on this Mm. conversation. And I'm going to feel loud.
1: (laughs) I am going to, I'm committing myself to feeling more loud more often. Yeah. I think I actually committed myself to that quite a long time ago. <laughs> you can ask a lot of people.
0: <laughs> but um, yeah, that's how we feel now. We feel loud and we feel radical and we feel feminist. Yeah. We feel feminist. But I love it. Yeah. Do you want to hear about day six? Let's go to day six. Day six. This is day six. I don't know why I'm singing about it today. Today, I'm living by the essay Words and Change. And this essay is about the power of words and how we can use language to shake shit up. And how we can use language to change the conversation about the things that piss us off. It ties in really nicely with yesterday, I think, in being more radical, because words are one way to be fucking radical. You know, she talks a lot about how the meaning of words has changed and changed for the better. Here are just some examples from the essay. Titles, like the word Miz. Men are always Mr. regardless of marital status, but before the term Ms., people were either miss or misses because they had to declare their marital status because it was important and stuff. You always had to identify yourself in relation to a man. But if you're Ms, then you don't. How using gender terms is actually just kind of not accurate. If you say something like Congresswoman, it draws a distinction between that elected official and her congressman counterpart. And there is no difference. They both have the same job and they both have the same amount of power. So why don't, why aren't they just congressperson or member of Congress or some other non-gender term? Like they don't need to have a gender term applied to that job. Language helps us take back words like bitch or witch, cunt, any word like that, that's that used to be an insult. And if we take it back and we turn it into power and we take it away from people that would use it against women, then... That's the fucking power of words. Uh, In this list was the term cunt art. Uh, A lot of female artists were just making art that proved not all art is phallic, which, duh, Georgia O'Keeffe, duh. Using the term working woman and how it came to refer to a woman working outside the home, which is bullshit because women who do housework are still doing the work of keeping their family running. It's we're drawing this distinction between unpaid labor and paid labor, because if it's paid, then in our society we value it more, even though this unpaid work in the home is still really important work. And then working women who do work outside the home and do paid work still have to come home and do all of this, do all of this unpaid housework labor because someone still has to do it. I know we discussed this at length in one of our podcast episodes with my friend Layson, the toys even that we give to little girls. Or like a toy kitchen and a toy eggplant, as Lisa so eloquently said, like, I am 10. What the fuck am I going to do with a plastic eggplant? You're not giving girls toys, you're giving them jobs. And boys have toys and get to play and have fun. And this just kind of continues and snowballs until they grow up and women are coming home from their full time jobs and working a full time jobs. Anyway, Tangent. Another point that she made, and this is still happening today. So she wrote this essay in either the 80s or the 90s. This is either 30 or 40 years ago, asking about domestic violence victims like, well, why didn't you just leave? We're still asking that today. We're not asking why, why are men beating their wives? Why don't men stop being abusers? We just ask, why didn't you leave? And there are so many reasons, and a lot of them boil down to some of the other things that I've read about in these essays, that a lot of the times it's financial. That threat of violence is what keeps the patriarchy working. If women didn't fear violence from men, they wouldn't be subservient to them. So there you know, there still is definitely that threat of violence. And then the people who will take things like political correctness, because this essay was written in like the 90s, and wokeness, and turn it into an insult when... It's not. Trying to think about language in a more inclusive way isn't a bad thing. It's like when I was a kid and you know that tone. It's just that tone of like, this is wrong. You're wrong. And what you like is stupid. It's that, but like on a grown-up scale and using it to make you question why you don't want to exclude people with your language. Why should we exclude people with our language? Why do people get so upset at terms like pregnant person? When it's it's just more inclusive, it's still talking about the pregnancy. It's just also referring to you as a human, which I guess makes you seem like less of a vessel and more of like a person experiencing an experience. Letting more people participate in the world by using language that includes more people and trying to turn it against you somehow is – I still 100% understand that. And because this essay, that's what it shows us, that we're always working on more inclusive language and we always should be. And just being aware of like what the terms are currently. Oddly, this essay makes me less judgmental. of People who use outdated terms and references, like including myself, I sometimes am really hard on myself for using a a term that might have been one that we used a long time ago and just somehow I did not get the memo that that's not the language that we use now. This shit is always changing. It doesn't do any good to gang up on someone who is using an outdated term and bully them into using the correct term because that term will also change. We will change the way that we use the language around whatever you're bullying that person about. You know, we all just have to learn to listen, to change, and then to drop our defenses. All right. That was some fucking heavy stuff. I'm going to lighten it up and I'm going to make some cunt art, some Georgia O'Keeffe vaginal works of art. I will post them on Instagram.
1: I love day six and what it made me think of is so many times in my life when I've said I'm an actor and someone immediately, usually men, but also some women will immediately cut me off, stop listening to what I'm saying and say actress. And I'll say what? And they'll go, you mean actress. And I say, do they do different jobs? Do men do more penis acting than women? (laughs) Or what is going on here? And they go, well, uh, No, I guess not. And I say, well, then it doesn't fucking matter, does it? Also, there is a unisex term, A-C-T-O-R, actor, that covers everyone, and it doesn't fucking matter. So I don't need to be corrected. Thank you.
0: Yeah, I don't need to be corrected on my own title. I can determine (laughs) what my own title is. People
1: who aren't even in the industry, who don't even do anything in entertainment, and they'll go, you mean actress? Actress, you mean S with an S? Oh, does that make, does that change anything else about this conversation? If I say S at the end instead of actor? No? No. Shut your fucking mouth.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't know why people are so opposed to like inclusive language. They need to keep this gendered language for some reason. It's because
1: they don't want women to think that they're equal to men. (laughs) Even for a second. You're separate though. You're separate. Remember you're separate?
0: Yeah, remember? remember? You do that? the
1: same job, but you're separate. That's why we pay you less.
0: <laughs> <sighs> and yeah, language is such a powerful tool. Mm-hmm. And and I even catch myself sometimes saying things that are outdated. Yeah, oh totally. And and I beat myself up for that. And
1: I'm which, gonna- you, which you shouldn't. Obviously, it's important in as human beings to think about what we're saying and have empathy. But there are so many other people out there who aren't ever considering what they say to someone else until someone says, hey, that's fucked up. Here's why. The fact that you're taking in this information and thinking about what comes out of your mouth, everybody makes mistakes. Everybody says stupid shit. I've said so many dumbass things in my life. (laughs) So many. But I do my best to think about that and And change. I mean, and make changes and and apologize before someone comes to me and goes, Hey, don't call me that. Not that I've ever, whatever. I'm right. But but just someone saying, this is the term that you should use. Or I, I prefer this. I prefer when you call me this. So you're going to say something and then. It's okay to reflect back on that. I I think there's a lot of people out in the world who go, oh, I know I've said something wrong, but now I'm going to defend it. I'm going to die on this hill because if I admit
0: that I'm wrong, then what happens? Then that means that I'm a bad person and you can't come back from that. You can't apologize for what you said and you can't change the way you think. What makes
1: you a bad person is never owning up to your mistakes or trying to fix them. Yeah. What right. makes you a shitty person is dying on that hill of,
0: <laughs> of all of the hills that I said. What I said. yeah, Right. Yeah, you heard me. I said what I
1: said. I refuse to learn one more new thing. I will say these things, these awful things to people until the day I die because- Because it's my right. It, it didn't mean that Free when I was growing speech. up, like calling yeah. things gay. Even when I was growing up in, like in the 90s, everything was gay for some reason yes. to everyone. <laughs> and I was like, what you're saying is that being gay is stupid and that's why you're calling that gay because that's why it means there no it just means stupid that's just not what it means to me and i'm uh, like you can say that all you want but that is what it means
0: or like you're acting like a girl
1: like being a girl is stupid yeah girls are you throw like a girl what you're saying is girls are inherently weaker than men always and that is just not the case
0: yes it is not like bev francis she was ripped she could beat most men in feats of strength
1: abby wambach was the number one worldwide soccer scorer
0: radical feminism radical feminism (laughs) (laughs) okay let's let's move on to the final day day seven day seven all right day seven this is my last day of living like gloria I'm kind of sad, but the essay that I read for this day is actually kind of the perfect essay to close out the experiment. It's called Romance versus Love, because this is what I've been wrestling with these last few years, like the whole time I've been talking about being a spinster and how I've gone from someone who dated like it was a job to someone who does not date at all and dates themselves. Pretty much every word of this essay resonated very deeply with me. The basic conceit is that romance is the fantasy of what we think of as true love and then love is the daily expression and the real sustainable emotion. She also gets into how society has warped women to value romance more because society tells us to be less of ourselves as women and men too. So like when you tell someone to be less of what they are or to be like more manly and suppress any quote unquote feminine chari- characteristics about themselves that they lose a bit of themselves and they need to go seek it in someone else when if They were just nurtured to be who they were. They wouldn't need to go find this in anyone and they could have a more realistic relationship with real love and people would know what that looked like. To me, like romance is fun, but it isn't real. And love is more work, but it is real. Uh, In this essay, she uses a lot of wonderful literary references. She uses the Bronte sisters as an example. So if you haven't read any books by the Bronte sisters, I'm sorry, and this will make zero sense to you. All right. She contrasts Wuthering Heights and Jane Eyre, which are two of my favorite books. I have them like (laughs) I have them within grasping distance. Wuthering Heights was written by Emily Bronte, and this book is romance. It's about this orphan named Heathcliff and this wealthier woman named Catherine. And Catherine's dad brings Heathcliff home as like a, a servant, basically. It's pretty fucked up. And they instantly fall for each other, and they have this like passion, but they can't be together because he's he's not an appropriate choice for a, a lady, a, a mannered lady. So this this book is the romantic one, the romance one. I shouldn't say romantic; it's romance, and because they can never be together, that's what makes it romance. They never get a chance to be together to actually love each other and learn about each other, and that's what Gloria points out in this in this essay is that distance is what makes romance romantic, distance allows you to create a vision of a person in your head. Romance isn't about the other person. It's about your experience of love. It's about like you putting your feelings on someone else. And Jane Eyre, which is written by Emily's sister, Charlotte Bronte, is about love. And that's not something that I ever actually thought about this book. It is one of my favorite books of all time. But I guess I always thought it was like on par with Wuthering Heights, even though Wuthering Heights makes you feel kind of Cold when you read it, and Jane Eyre, like you're really invested. It's very different feelings reading the book. And Gloria points out to me, it's like a reinterpretation of this book. I'm going to have to read it again. So, even though that the person that Jane loves, his name is Mr. Rochester, he's like a wealthy man who <laughs> hires Jane as a governess for his um, illegitimate love child, he's toxic as fuck. He lies. He manipulates Jane. He tries to make her feel jealous by showing interest in another woman. Also, he locks his mentally ill wife in the fucking attic. So, you know, he's not a great fucking guy. But Mr. Rochester isn't the point. Jane is. She is love. She's self-love. She loves herself enough to stand her ground and stand up for what she believes in, which she does, like, in the opening scenes of the book, where she's this orphan child that's been dumped with her relatives, and they're just cruel to her, and they blame things on her and then want her to apologize for the things that they've pinned on her and she won't do it just out of principle. And this kind of continues throughout her life is that she lives by a set of principles and she will not compromise on those, even even if it means that she doesn't get something that she wants. Like everything is in order to keep her sense of self. And because she has really high self-esteem, there's a point in the book where she finds out about the wife that Mr. Rochester locked in the fucking attic. Jesus Christ. What? Like, what? Like, honestly, what? If she wasn't mentally ill before, she's certainly going to be if you lock her in a fucking attic. Once she finds out that she would be an illegitimate wife if she were to marry him at that point, she just leaves. She just up and leaves because she loves herself enough. She values herself enough to not be a mistress. She is self-sufficient enough that she doesn't need this. And she gets away. She runs away. And she refuses to just lose herself in this relationship. So just fucking wow. Just wow. This essay, wow. Fuck, man. Gloria also has some passages about why women love romance. And I talked a little bit about it at the top of this diary entry, but it links back to something that we've discussed time and time again on the podcast, like the difference between how men and women are raised as children. Here's a passage from the essay. Think about it. On the one hand, each of us is born with a full circle of human qualities and also with a unique version of them. On the other hand, societies ask us to play totalitarian gender roles that divide labor, assign behavior, provide the paradigm for race and class, and are so accepted that they may be seen as part of nature. Societies have been so intent on creating an elaborate difference where none exists that in many languages, even inanimate objects are genderized. Thus, one kind of pen may be feminine, la plume, and another masculine. Yet, despite all these pervasive efforts to categorize and limit everyone and everything, the little boy who was ridiculed for crying like a girl doesn't stop feeling sad. He just buries that emotion. And the little girl who is punished for willfulness as a tomboy just takes the spirit underground. Later, since both have been told that some parts of themselves are appropriate only to the opposite sex, they will look for them in other people. In search of inner wholeness, they will try and absorb and possess someone else, as Catherine and Heathcliff did, and as you and I probably have done too. This is, like, just, wow. I always thought that romance and love were linked, like, you would get those from the same person. And, like, uh, sure, like, for some couples, they might be, but because I couldn't separate the two, I was always disappointed. What I really wanted was a great romance. I mean, I still do. But now I know that the romance probably won't be with the person that I love. And that's why I was always so unhappy in relationships. I had these unrealistic expectations that weren't being met. I thought it would have all those thunderous crashing feelings of romance with all of that like tenderness and acceptance of love. And I tried to have that intense romantic connection with people that were trying to love me or just like, that's not how they how they saw things. And then I tried to love the people that were like a romantic, intense connection. It wasn't based on those tenets of love. It was based on lust and it was based on not seeing each other all the time and then going on a date once a week and ripping each other's clothes off and just going ape shit on each other. And also this essay had the most personal stories of like the essays that I read. I don't know how much she draws in her personal life and the rest of her writing. And this is the whole reason that I wanted to live like the spinsters that we talk about. I want to get to know them personally, not just facts about their life, but like how they think about the world and how being single has affected their experience of the world. So for this last day, no personal challenge, nothing to produce. I'm just going to keep thinking about what I read in this essay. It's going to stay with me for a long time. Wild. this is a really important one yeah especially as
1: women because we are taught from the moment we're born that romance and love are the same thing and they're the only thing that matters and really ultimately what it's all wrapped up in is a man sees you knows nothing about you and chooses you from across the room and it's love at first sight and that is not love that is not... Someone knowing nothing about you. That is, that is romantic, you. sure. Because... It's not love. Because you, you can get to create this fantasy. fantasy. Yeah, you can feel attraction towards someone. You can sure. you can create, start creating a, a fantasy in your mind of what this person's going to be like and what
0: you're going to be like with them. And you can have fun with that. But totally. But knowing that difference between... But love, yeah. That and love. Yes. Very different
1: thing. Love, love is is it's so like, much more involved. It's day-to-day. It's like the day-to-day. It's action-based. Romance yeah. is an internal mental thing that lives inside your own brain, I think. It's it's who you think you are with that other person. This
0: blew my goddamn mind. Yeah. This whole concept. Like, I definitely thought they were one and the same. And I definitely was was basing dating on on a romance on mm-hmm. creating this life in my head with someone. Well that's all And then we're told. That's all we're told. Yeah, and to like recognize real love. Real love is
1: is messy a lot of times <laughs> and you know and boring. I
0: think it's it's, like, boring, it's a little
1: boring. It can be difficult, but it's it's making choices and you can't you can't and there's there is no exceptions to this. You cannot love someone If you don't know them, because that's part of love, is choosing to know someone, choosing to know who they are on each day, not just your version of them, not just who they were the day you met them. If someone if you've known someone for 20 years and they're the same person they were 20 years ago, that's bullshit. You're not paying attention to them. Yeah. Or you neither of you are growing. That's not healthy. And that's
0: a problem. That's a problem. And, that, and you probably still have not grown and not learned the difference between romance and mm-hmm. love. And that's why so
1: many marriages end in divorce, because people don't understand this. They base it on what it survives up until their perception of who they are and who this other person is or who they could be falls away and yeah,
0: and they're left with the day to day, the love part of it, and they don't love each other. Once they actually know that person, they don't love them. Yeah, and that's why it ends. And and also just all the expectation around that nonsense too, like mm-hmm. a failed marriage. Why don't we just have? We had this great relationship. It reached its natural conclusion. Mm-hmm. We're done here. Uh, <laughs> we're was, all set. It's been great. I had a great time and not these like messy divorces where people are like, I hate my spouse, I hate my ex spouse, like
1: well, and because people live within these ideals, there's cheating and there's lying and there's Yeah. They do terrible things to each other and it becomes this very litigious, toxic relationship that falls apart in that way. And if you were looking at it as growth instead of something you've already checked off your list.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm. Yeah. I'm married. This is the pinnacle of the adulting experience. Now we're just married, and if that's it's a check that's mark, it. if it's done to you, then you're not
1: investing any more of yourself into that. So of course, it's not going to be successful for anything in life—not just romantic
0: relationships, but professional relationships. If like one day you wake up and you're like, I don't love this job. I don't love this person. Mm-hmm. You can walk away. You can make changes. You can change. This is your one life. The the uh the part of the marriage vows till mm-hmm. death do us part. That is just unhealthy. It's unhealthy. It's a, just an unrealistic standard that sure some people some people find their person and they're perfectly happy and they have oh, great long marriages until literally they both die.
1: But <laughs> I I have some pretty strong opinions. On marriage, I don't find it necessary. I don't see why we need to bring the government into this. Uh I mean, yeah, there's a whole other... Yeah. We could talk about that, too. Of we like go on how- and on. But yes, it's another one of those mental prisons that someone else has told us, and we've willfully trapped ourselves in there. And until we see that it's okay to make other choices in life, to try something and go... This isn't working and find other things. Loving your romanticizing your own life, loving who you are with yourself is more important than trying to make someone else fit into a mold that you think you want them to.
0: Right. And I think that's you think that you want them to fit into. Mm-hmm. How many people get into it and they are in this relationship and it's kind of toxic and they end up changing their partner's behavior. Yeah. And they're still not happy. Yeah. They've gotten what they wanted and they're still not happy with who this person is because, because it's based on romance. It's not based on,
1: it's based on ideas and not in real life. And yeah.
0: There is a, there is a hard line
1: between the two, especially when that other person has ideas about their own life, right. things that they want to do and, that they want to be. So that's where the love part comes in, knowing and growing and and making choices.
0: I, and, I, and you know, I spent so much of my dating life, I think, also just being the, the victim of romance, uh, having men project who they think that I should be, oh, and definitely. then getting mad when I didn't live up to
1: their standard. When I spoke, I was, yeah, I was very much A victim of romance for a long time as well. And I am so much happier with myself and my own life now that I've gotten to a point where I realize that I don't want to invest any more of my emotional energy into another person or something if I don't feel like it's being productive. And then I go, you know what? I'm done. And I love that about myself. I'm done with this conversation. I'm done with this relationship. I'm done.
0: That's self-love, I believe, Mm -hmm. which also Gloria talked about in this essay and how Mm -hmm. self-love manifests itself in a relationship. Like Mm -hmm. that's really the only time that you can have a healthy relationship. I know like like RuPaul says, if you don't love yourself, who the hell else will? But it is is true that Mm -hmm. you you have to have that defined sense of self in order to become part of a couple. So you don't a healthy, healthy couple. Yeah, yeah. A healthy couple. Yeah, there is that saying,
1: like, yeah, if, if you don't love yourself, then no one else is going to love you. And that's, and you know, there's a lot of, especially these days, a lot of, well, that's toxic, that's unhealthy. It is possible. And it's also, you know, what a super fun thing to do if you don't love yourself is to fully invest yourself in someone else. It's
0: it. Yeah, no, it's great. What a great distraction, honestly. You you don't have to think about (laughs) yourself. You don't have to look into the void of your own soul and change anything. But you cannot have
1: a healthy relationship with another person if you don't love yourself, if you don't know yourself, if you haven't taken time away from relationships with other people and learning who other people expect you to be to learn who you want to be. And this was just such
0: a perfect essay to mm-hmm. wrap all of this up. I've been writing things for Spinster Life, writing blog posts or doing videos and for Love Fool too, the podcast that Laurel and I do together. These are all the things that, you know, we've been thinking more yeah, about. Yeah, we talk
1: about this it's almost exclusively the focus of Love Fool is about learning about your own life, romanticizing your own life and, yeah. and falling in love with it and not worrying about all of the supposed to's that someone else has told you.
0: That's stupid. That's, yeah. (laughs) And that's just, it's just not going to make you happy happy. or healthy. Yeah. So, yeah. So, that was how
1: I lived like Gloria Steinem. Well, I think this was a great project. I think it was a good challenge. And uh, I'm really happy that we got to talk about
0: it. It was really Interesting. interesting. It was really fun. Yeah. And I definitely feel like I know more about Gloria, and I feel like I know more about her work than Mm -hmm. just, you know, talking about some talking points from her life. As interesting as her life
1: was, her ideas are even
0: more interesting.
1: Yeah. You got to kind of live inside of them for a little bit. Yeah. And really... Feel your way into it. And I love that. Yeah. It was a,
0: it was a hell of fun time. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's a, a great experiment and I'm excited to live like more spinsters in the future. Yeah. That was a, that was a big week for you. It was, it was, <laughs> I learned a lot. It mm-hmm. feels like an after-school special. I learned but a lot from <laughs> you
1: learning a lot. So that was great. I love learning vicariously. The through transitive property <laughs> of learning. <laughs> Photosynthesis. <laughs> Do I sound smart now? What are you going to carry with you after this what are you gonna keep doing or or just keep present in your mind
0: definitely the radical feminism part of it Mm -hmm. that the ideas that i'm having they're worth sharing and i should be louder and prouder about them and be more aggressive in spreading them yeah that's right i'm gonna be aggressive (laughs) um also just to question why why, yeah. what, not accept the way things are, but question why they Keep are the way they are. And why? Definitely. Yeah, because the That's answer is usually, everyone. yeah, the answer is usually some outdated nonsense. That and,
1: some, uh, yeah, and some abusive person is benefiting from it, from someone else thinking that they are garbage.
0: Yeah, <laughs> right. And then, and then rarely do things need to continue being the way that they are. Absolutely. Just for the sake of tradition.
1: <laughs> it's um, always been this way. is the
0: worst reason anyone can do anything. It's an awful reason. And usually there is a better way and that better way will benefit more people. Mm-hmm. Gloria definitely will stay with me.
1: Absolutely. She's a very inspiring woman. Maybe someday.
0: Maybe someday. Yeah, maybe someday. someday we'll, we'll get to meet her. We'll get a real in-person interview. Yeah. So that is my week of living like Gloria Steinem. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Spinster Life Podcast. Thank you, Laurel, for being my co-pilot on this one. Thank you so much for
1: having me. It was a pleasure, to be sure. (laughs) (laughs) And we will see you next time. Bye.